0: Uh, you know, interesting, Lao Tzu said in 600 B.C., the same time frame of the, the message, we'll be in just a bit, said the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And there's a philosopher a little closer in our time, Mary Poppins, said, that, said it this way, well begun is half done. Now, she ripped that off because it was actually Aristotle who said that, and I don't think the movie credits give Give him credit for that. <clears throat> A big part of living life well, much less finishing life well, really has to do with starting life well. What, the, the things, the way we start, the assumptions we make, the decisions that we make as we sort of proceed through life, especially from the front end of that, they end up making us. The decisions we make as we start going forward they end up making us. So how, how have we begun? doesn't matter how old you are at this point. If you can hear me, you can think sort of back as far as my memory goes. What has my beginning looked like? Or what does it look like now? let just say I'm beginning life. What does that look like now? And if you have a study sheet, look at that now if you would, just on the top, and think about this as we start the message. Uh, what decisions have I made that have put me in the place in life I am now? What decisions have I made in the past that have put me in the place in life I am now? Now, those decisions might be positive and you can say I'm reaping the fruits of those or they may be negative and you can say I see the fallout of decisions I made perhaps last week or perhaps decades ago. I can see those in my life now. Just think about that for a minute. As I've begun, as I've made decisions, what decisions have made me? What decisions have put me in the place I am today? What beliefs have I been operating on? What hopes, if we're old enough to look back on life, what were my hopes for career or family or marriage or children or grandchildren, any of that? What were my hopes like? And if I've lived long enough, what has that turned out to look like and why? What assumptions, this is key also, what assumptions have informed those life forming decisions we've made in the past? We'll look at this through the message this morning. But your decisions in mind, they're predicated on values, on information on beliefs. You say, why do I do something? Well, it's because I want something specific. So our decisions always go back to some assumptions, some beliefs that we're operating on. This is all to introduce uh, going back into the series Heroes and Villains. We've been out of this series for a couple of months, and so I'm going to give a, just a brief reminder of what we hope to do. Each of the people we've looked at in the scriptural account from Genesis forward in the past have been lenses by which we're looking at what does Christ-like faithfulness for you and I look like? And we use the lens of those Old and New Testament in the future, New Testament saints, who display Christ-like faithfulness. And we've said that as Christians, remember, fact uh, from the Sunday school lesson this morning, what is the mystery that Paul revealed to Gentiles like you and me? It was Christ in us, our hope of glory. Christ in us is the new thing with the New Covenant, that God doesn't say it's an external work now, it's inside. Christ is inside us. So if you want to know if the Christ's life that is yours through faith in Jesus, through forgiveness and the reception of eternal life, is active and alive, you just look at Galatians 5, look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, does that reflect my life? Or we've looked at villains also. Villains related to faith and faithfulness, they're faithless to God. And you and I can see if we're living faithless as believers by looking at Galatians five and say, does my life is it characterized more by the deeds of the flesh, anger, immorality, drunkenness, witchcraft, all those things in the list. So we want to engender in ourselves more of the life of Christ. And it's there we have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have Christ's life within. We're not trying to be religious. We're not trying to be rules keepers. We're trying to liberate, if you will, or fan the flames of the life of Christ in us as we look at these folks and see what faithfulness looked like in their lives or faithlessness to avoid. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. That's why we open with the song on faith. Faith and faithfulness in and to God are the heart and the soul of life for a Christian. Real brief catch up on this. We started this series August 5th, 2018. The first message was on God Himself and what God values, and it's faith and faithfulness. Christ's life in us, faith and faithfulness. Uh, We've looked at 14 villains and 24 heroes. If you look up there on the top, those are heroes, and there's a timeline at the bottom in white, sort of you can see a little bit. One of the other goals was simply, we'll have walked through the Bible in biographies when we're done with this series, 66 Different messages. And one of the hopes also is that we have a little bigger sense of the sort of the big sweep of Scripture. So going back in history, maybe around 4000 BC or so, you got the worshiping Abel. Abel was faithful as a worshiper. Noah was the ark builder. Abraham around 2000 BC. Moses and the conservative date of the Exodus is about 1446 BC. You got King David about 1000 BC. Isaiah around 700. And then Daniel is where we'll pick up today. The captivity, the first deportation was in 605 and Jerusalem was destroyed in 586. Along the way, we've looked at some villains like Cain envied his brother, murdered his brother. You've got Nimrod, the the empire builder. You remember he started both Babylon and Nineveh. We've got villains like villainous kings Saul and Ahab as well. The last guy we looked at was Jeremiah a couple months ago. Jeremiah's name is not up there, but you remember he lived in and through the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And he was taken captive by other faithless Jews. And as far as we know, he ended his life in Egypt as they basically uh, took him captive and went down to Egypt to avoid uh, the Babylonians. So this is the 40th message we're in this morning. And we're looking at Daniel. Now, Daniel is uh, in the first group that's taken captive out of Jerusalem. So we'll we'll be in Daniel 1 in just a minute. But in 605 B.C., historians know there's a famous battle, the Battle of Carchemish. And basically what it was, Babylon as a a nation and empire was on the rise. And Assyria was dwindling. And their last stronghold was at Carchemish. And the Babylonians defeated them. They also defeated the Egyptians. So the Babylonians, they were the guys. And so at that battle forward, Israel had to do with the Babylonians. And they went to Jerusalem and they told the king there, we're going to take some things from you because we want you to obey us. This was very common in the ancient world. So Daniel was part of the first deportation in 605 B.C., almost 20 years before Jerusalem was destroyed. You look at other Old Testament folks like Ezekiel, uh, they spanned this time as well. Ezekiel, you see in his, Prophetic uh, passages, some of it are before the destruction of Jerusalem, some of it is afterwards. Well, Daniel lives through that same period. Daniel is certainly, without doubt, uh, one of the top, I think you'd have to say one of the top three or five uh, personages in all the Bible. And I say that for this reason. If Scripture gives anybody much ink at all, because it's God's word and God sees things as they are, God shows us the upside and the underbelly of saints and sinners alike. We said at the beginning, sometimes you'll see that sinners look better than saints, and sometimes you see the opposite as well. Um, But you see that throughout, and Daniel has no strike against him in all the record. There's 12 chapters in the book that bears his name. We know a lot about him, and there's not a single mark against him. That's highly highly unusual. The only other person that's given much ink at all, especially in the Old Testament, that has no strikes against him, depending on how you read a passage or two, is Joseph in Genesis. So Daniel's a guy who is characterized by Christ-like faith and faithfulness very uniquely so, singularly so, and that's who we're going to be looking at this morning. Got two points for this morning. The first is this, we're more likely to live and finish life in faith, likely to to live well and finish well as believers in faith, faithfully. If we begin that way, if we begin well. If we don't begin well, today is a great day to start over. Today is a great day to make a new beginning. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel 1, verses 1 through 16. In the Pew Bible, that's page 737. I'll read the text you can see the map. I just want to point out, see if you guys, if I can remember how to do this. Yep. Yeah. So, so this is the, the new Babylonian empire, and Israel's here on the coast. Daniel would have started here in Jerusalem. When he's taken captive, he's taken captive up the Fertile Crescent, back down towards the Mesopotamian area. Babylon's right here, and Carchemish is right here. That was the, the singular battle that really set Babylon up to go forward as the key empire. So this is Daniel 1, verses 1 through 16. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, he's the second to last king of any duration, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, that's another name for his empire in the Mesopotamian area, to the house of his god, his idol, and placed the vessels from God's house in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. And guys, as we read this, Daniel's in this group. Everything that's said of this group is true of Daniel. So he's from the royal family, he's from nobility. Youths, Daniel's young, so are his friends. They're young, maybe late teens, maybe early 20s. Without blemish, they're handsome or good-looking. They're of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom. They're sharp, they're smart, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And just pause. These guys are the cream of the crop out of Jerusalem and Judah. These guys are the top and they're going to get the best food in all the world because they're going to eat directly from King Nebuchadnezzar's table. This is a high honor. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. They're going to get a Ph.D. in Babylonian academics. So they're already sharp, they're already capable, they're already smart. They're going to be educated as the top academics of Babylon, and then they'll be tested to see where can they best serve in Nebuchadnezzar's administration. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. And if you remember the old Johnny Cash songs, we don't know them by their Jewish names. We know them by their Babylonian names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the story goes on to tell us the eunuchs afraid if you don't eat from the king's table, you won't look healthy. He says, let's test this. Would you give us a test period? The guy says, yes, they look healthier than the other guys at the end of the test period. He says, "Okay, you're good to go. And that thus begins Daniel's life of faith. I hope you notice verse eight the book of Daniel hinges on verse 8. The life of Daniel hinges on verse 8. And that's sort of the theme for us this morning. When we're thinking of Christ-like faithfulness, for Daniel it began, or at least it's mentioned significantly for the first time in verse 8, though though verse 8 reflects back on why Daniel made a key decision in his life at that time. So verse 8, Daniel resolved... He made a firm determination. He drew a line in the sand. He would made up his mind about something. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He drew a line in the sand, a solemn determination. Now remember, Daniel's a young guy at this point. And he's going into a, a foreign land. And as he goes there, and he knows it's going to be different than the place he grew up in. He's already determined that some things he will do and some things he will not do. He has already made up his mind. Now, the first thing that comes along seems fairly innocuous. It's an issue of food. How big a deal is food? And that would be the point. It didn't matter to Daniel that the first trial, the first test that came up in his life was what you and I might consider a minor thing. What we eat, you know, today we know all foods are clean. We can eat anything we want. So we could tell Daniel, hey, no biggie. But Daniel lived under the law and food to him was a big deal. And so Daniel's determination, his resolve related to the food he ate or didn't eat, it actually set the course for the rest of his life. And this was Daniel beginning well. Later in his life, he's going to face the threat of execution. You read in Daniel's book, and, and Nebuchadnezzar says to the wise men, of, among which are Daniel and his friends, tell me my dream and tell me what it means. And, but he won't tell them what the dream is. And so he says, I'm going to wipe you all out. And Daniel and his friends, they don't freak. They fast and pray, and they trust God, and he gives them the solution. After that, later, Daniel risks his life when he tells Nebuchadnezzar, God's going to cut you down. You're like a big tree that's grown too big for your own head. God's going to cut you down and humble you. When threatened later by the threat of death by lions in a den, when the Medo-Persian Empire takes over the Babylonian and King Darius is on the throne, Darius is tricked by other court administrators who don't like Daniel. They know he's a Jew. They know he does everything right. They're only going to get him on his Jewish religion. They make a law that's passed that says, if anyone prays to anyone but King Darius, He gets thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel knows that. And what does he do? Three times a day. He keeps doing the same thing he did before. He kneels, he faces Jerusalem, and he prays. It didn't matter what had come up. The big temptations Daniel had later, the ground had been set for his faithfulness in the first one on the food. He began well, and to every challenge that came up, he simply responded the same way he had with that firm resolve that he wasn't going to defile himself for anyone or anything. And it started with what he ate. Daniel was faithful throughout his life in prayer and in reading God's word. You see this, we'll talk about a couple of these elements later, but enemies under King Darius knew that this guy prayed all the time. That's why they they could pin him down with with a law by coercion. They knew he prayed all the time. Daniel also, we knew, was committed to God's Word because we see him reading God's word in Daniel chapter 9 when he's reading a scroll from Isaiah the prophet. He was informing his faith, and each test that came along had been informed by the prior one where he had resolved and made up his mind. He began well, and that's what we want to do. Uh, Seems appropriate on Veterans Day weekend to mention that the Marine Corps motto is Semper Fi, which means always faithful. Always faithful. And that's exactly what you see in the life of David or of Daniel. I have no doubt that Daniel was making up his mind every day along the way, just like you and I do too, which means he is praying or he is reading or he's hanging out with others. But it all began at that resolution in verse 8 that when temptation came up, I already know what I'm going to do. I've already made up my mind. I'm good to go no matter what comes up. So if we want to live well and finish well, it's best to start well. So before we go on, just just pause for a moment again and just ask yourself, what are the decisions that have made me, what was my beginning like and what has it been since then? Now, I'm going to do something I usually don't and I'm going to break up the message into two. So for now, initially, I only want to talk to you if you're 25 years old or younger. And this isn't a hard line in the sand. If you're still at the point in life in which you, your beginning is beginning, so you still live with your parents, maybe even if you're in college, you're not out of college yet, you're in high school, you're not your own yet. You're, you're still subject to someone else's either control or influence sort of as an authority figure. So I want to talk to you first. How do you, you're making your beginnings. You're putting together the elements that will be the beginning of your life. How do you emulate Daniel in starting out in life with a strong sense of purpose and resolve in the big things and the little things? So I'm getting ready to make up my mind. How do I do that? How do I emulate Daniel? Am I starting a life of faith well? Am I making my lines in the sand? And I want to talk about several things here. The first is this. Uh, Daniel lived life always in community, in a community of faith. So verse 8 says Daniel resolved, but how did he get to that point? When he needed to make up his mind, what was it that informed him already so that he was ready to make that resolution? And I want to suggest several things. And this is the first. Daniel always lived in a community of faith. You know, in the States, we, we sort of have the, the caricature of the John Wayne, the strong, silent individual. And you just won't find that in the Bible because it doesn't exist. I mean, there are, there are areas and times in which an individual has to make a singular decision for themselves, for sure. But God's always working through the community of faith. And that's what you see in the life of Daniel as well. Now, I will, I will confess to you that some of what I'm sharing this morning, I am inferring, but I think they're strong inferences. You may say, Mike, the text doesn't say that. I'm with you, but but I think the inferences are strong. So remember this. Daniel is a godly Jew. He's an observant Jew, and he lives in or around Jerusalem and Judea, the southern kingdom. So what does that mean? What do godly Jews do in Jerusalem? They worship at the temple. They worship with other believing Jews. Uh, Daniel would have grown up going to the temple. He would have been there for the three mandatory feasts every year. He might have been there for morning or evening sacrifices. He would have heard the priest's choir singing the songs of David. He would have grown up in that. What we would say in today's language is we would say Daniel went to church. Daniel grew up in church as an observant Jew in and around Jerusalem. When we say dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, there's an element of truth in that. But it presupposes this American version of things which simply isn't true. There are times in which you will have to make up your mind and it's just you there, absolutely. But the faith that gives you the ability to be resolved about an individual event is fostered in the community of faith. That's important. It's singularly important. He didn't grow up doing this thing all by himself. He grew up with other observant Jews. Think of this. In Daniel's day, and this was not unusual for the temple or temple life, priesthoods were corrupt. Remember, this is the end of the reign of Judah. Judah's going to cease to exist. In Daniel's lifetime, temple life, the priesthood, it was not what it should have been. But guess what? God had made a promise that he would show up and meet people at one place on the face of the earth, and that was the temple. If you wanted to meet God, there was one place to go. It was the temple. And that's where Daniel would have gone. In fact, you see later in his life, when he prays, the text tells us he faces Jerusalem because Solomon's prayer had said, if we're we're displaced and we're in a foreign land, which is Daniel, and we turn towards this place and we pray, that's exactly what Daniel was doing. Same thing. Exactly the same thing. Guys, where on the earth today has God promised to meet you? There's only one place. No different than the temple. Absolutely no different. It's the church. Two or three gather, I'm there, and in you gather in my name, I'm there. And this I find interesting. Daniel could have said, you know, the temple, temple life's not what it should be. And the priesthood, they're corrupt. And they were. But that's still where he would have been hanging out, because that's where God said, you'll meet me. And guys, God promises to meet us in the church. And Boys and girls, young men and young ladies, if you're not committed to a life of faith in the community of faith, you will not be ready to make an individual resolution and to be faithful because your faith is engendered and built in the community of faith, even in very imperfect churches like Lion and Lamb. There are no perfect churches. There's no perfect Christians. But if you want to be able to make those faithful decisions, you need to be in the church, just like Daniel, I can infer, was in the temple as he grew up. You want to start well in life, live a life characterized by fellowship and worship in the church. And also this, if you go away to another place to college or you start a career, a new job, you're in a new setting, especially if you left Topeka or you left your home church, the first thing you should do is let people know you're a Christian. You should let them know you get that out of the way. So there's no temptations that they think you and, and they are on the same page of, immorality and worldliness. You say, I'm a Christian. You let them know. And you find a church home. That's what you do. And Daniel not only grew up in the household of faith in the temple, but guys, he's always hanging out with the other Jews in Babylon. So his ability to resolve and be faithful on the front end came out of a life lived in the community of faith. And he did that throughout the rest of his life. And that's what we're called to don't expect you're going to stand on your own if you haven't stood with others in the community of faith. It simply does not work that way. Ask yourself, who influences my affections the most? You say, where are the affections of my heart? Who's influencing those? So you're <laughs> And I will just tell you, you can scam your parents. You can scam your Sunday school teachers. You can scam the other people that, that are moral. And maybe when you grow up and get out of home and you just go and do your own thing, that may be what you do, but ask yourself, at least for honesty's sake, where are my affections, where are the things that I value, where are they coming from, because that's, that's going to inform the decisions I make. So Daniel didn't do it alone, he did it in the community of faith. Also uh, this, can you believe that I am going to say, I think you should read your Bible, boys and girls, young men and young women. Now, you know, we say this, and and Mike's been saying this, this is my drum, read your Bible, but it really is shorthand. Pharisees memorized the Bible. They they weren't Christian. They they didn't believe. When Jesus came, they didn't believe. But it's really, it's, it's live out of that relationship with God. God reveals himself through his word. And prayer, right? We're drawing near to God. God's drawing near to us. That happens through that personal relationship through the scriptures and prayer. Now, I can tell you that I know Daniel read, his Bible. Now I've got Jeremiah nine. He's reading the scroll of Jeremiah or Daniel nine, he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah, but I know it before that because I know it in chapter one. How did Daniel know that some foods should be eaten and some shouldn't? It's because he read his Bible. Where do those where do those laws come from in the Bible? They come from really weird, out-of-the-way places that you and I rarely go. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? See, when he comes in, and what was the deal with Nebuchadnezzar's food? Well, he's an observant Jew, Daniel is. You don't eat pork, you don't eat shellfish, you don't eat fish that don't have fins and scales. Uh, Unless it chews a cut and has a split hoof, you don't eat it. And not only do you not eat some foods entirely, but you don't eat some foods dependent on the way they were prepared. How does Daniel know all this? Because he read his Bible. He would have heard it. He would have heard it and remembered, what, 5%? He would have read it, uh, remembered another 15% or so. Did you get the picture? Daniel knew what was in God's word. So he was already prepared when the temptation on that little thing about food came up. He was informed by God's word. He already knew what God said about that food. I think also he would have known that the king's food in almost all, Uh, all circumstance would have been offered to one of the gods the Babylonians worshipped. And Daniel said, I'm not going to participate in the worship of another god either. So the foods themselves, the fact that it was idolatry, was all prohibited by God's word, and Daniel knew God's word. He lived in God's word. He was like the wise son in Proverbs who practiced wisdom. He saw trouble coming down the road, he got out of the way. He was like Timothy in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3.15, You remember the text there tells us that Timothy, when he was a little fella, knew the scriptures which gave him wisdom that led to salvation. And then it goes on to say that all scripture is inspired and profitable. He knew scripture, he knew God's word, the the word of God that was available in his day. We need to be in our Bible. If we'd have a life characterized by godly resolve, we need to live in God's word, and God's word needs to live in us. Absolutely, it can't be otherwise. Another thing is this. <coughs> excuse me. Daniel knew Babylon was antagonistic towards his God and his faith. He knows that as he's going in. And Daniel loved God, and Daniel loved God's things more than he loved the world around him. Now, guys, if, if Daniel had been in this life for pleasure, he wouldn't have followed the Mosaic law. He would have just had a good time. And he could have had a good time in Babylon. As a key administrator, as the, as the top of the top in Babylon, he could have had anything he wanted. He could have enjoyed all the pleasures of life, and he said no thanks because he loved God more than he loved the world around him. And guys, boys and girls, young men and young ladies, this is the deal. If you are unaware that the streets you walk on, the friends you, you get along with, the, the stores you go to, the Internet you, you cruise is absolutely opposed to your God and your faith, you're going to go down. You're absolutely going to go down. And I think this is one of the ways where the church and Christians generally really, really fail to be discerning. Because we know that all things are lawful, we forget that they're not all profitable. And because of that, we're willing to entertain one thing and another, and a little bit we might say no big deal. But what you find is your affections grow more and more in the direction of the world's offerings. And Daniel knew that. And he loved God. And he loved God's things more than he loved the world and the opportunities of the world around him. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. John says this in the New Testament. He says, don't love the world. Now, guys, the world we occupy, it's a lovely place, right? Spectacularly pretty in different areas. It's subject to sin and death. But you've got spectacular aspects of God's glory on the earth today. And we're not really talking about that. We're talking about the world system of which Satan is the head and every man, woman, boy, and girl that is not a Christian is part of. And sometimes people in the world mean to oppose your God and your faith and sometimes they don't. They just do because that's all they have and it's all they know. But Daniel loved God and God's things. He had chosen to avoid the world. And if you don't make the same distinction... That yes, I live in the world, but I'm being shrewd and I'm informed by God's Word so that I can honor God and I can preserve my own faithfulness. You won't. You will not. You'll cave. You will fall. Because Satan's a lot smarter than you and me. And he's got a lot of practice. And the world is opposed to your God and to your faith. And if you don't live like that, you will not survive spiritually. Is that what we're doing? So if you're a young, young man, young woman, boy or girl, are you doing the things, are you growing up in a way that Daniel did so that he could make those resolutions and could be faithful no matter what came up? Now, I want to switch gears and I want to talk to the over 25 crowd, and that is just to say you're old enough that you've got some history behind you. So you might be 30, but let's say you're on your own, you're in your career, you're married, you have kids. You're 50 or 60, unmarried, doesn't matter. You've just lived long enough that you can look in the rearview mirror of life and you can see where you started as an adult, making life decisions for yourself, where you started and where you've been up to the point of where you are. What does that look like? Now, we might look back and cringe. I look back at certain things I did 50 years ago. I still cringe at them. I'm not talking about that. The general nature of things, how did I start as an adult? What's my life been characterized by? What has got me where I am today? Now, for many of us, we're going to say, I didn't start well. We might say, I'm not doing well today. thats I want to talk to you at this point. You're driving down the road of life, and you realize you're on the wrong road. What's the first thing you do? You, you stop, don't you? You just stop. You know, if I'm in the mountains and I'm lost, I don't want to keep going like I'm going to find. I just want to stop. The further I go in the wrong direction, the more in the wrong direction I am. The first thing we want to do is just stop. I look in the rearview mirror. I say, I don't like where I started. I don't like where I've been. I'm not sure I like where I am today. The first thing we do is we stop, just stop. This could be all kinds of different things, guys. All kinds of different things. If I am swimming in a, in a pool of debt, overspending, I need to quit my excess spending. I may need to cut up my credit cards. I may need to change my lifestyle. I just stop spending money. I don't have to spend. There's a host of other things, too, for believers. Favorite sin among Christians? Eating. Overeating, right? It's the favorite. It's, we define it. it. It defines us on maybe even on potlucks, on godly fellowship of potlucks. We're, uh, we're practicing a form of gluttony, right? We overeat. We abuse things God's made. They're absolutely fine in and of themselves. Alcohol, Jesus made wine, drank it, but if I abuse alcohol, I've got an issue. Or I may abuse drugs, legal drugs, or illegal drugs. I may be stuck on pornography. There's, Christians, we can sin with everybody else, right? We've got a carnal nature that still enjoys that stuff. Now, some of these things... Some of these things, some of the sins that we may still uh, be in today, some of them you, you might say, Mike, it's easy to say stop. It's a different thing to do it. And, and I get that for sure. Absolutely. You know, some sins we practice. And guys, besides our carnal natures wanting to sin, because they do, that's all they can do. Besides that, a lot of times we are sinning because we're not right, we're not healthy, and that sin is a form of we're just trying to cope. We're just trying to get through another day. And if you say stopping is is easy to say but not so easy to do, I fully understand that. And I'd say I'm with you on that. And if that's you, you talk to me or you talk to one of the other elders and we'll chat and we'll help each other for sure. But the first thing we want to do if we look back and we say, I didn't start well, I haven't been doing well, is to stop. Stop whatever it is that's getting us where we are today in a negative position after we stopped <clears throat> excuse me we need to start thinking about what faithfulness in the image of Christ looks like now guys this is a version of read your bible but let me just let me just come in at it from a different angle okay resolve resolve to meet with god every morning in scripture and prayer resolve to do that you know, some of us, we've been away from God long enough. We're not sure what his voice sounds like anymore. But you, you resolve to meet God, to meet God, and he's going to speak through his Bible. And you ask God, Lord, would you speak to me through your word? I need to hear from you. And he will. And you pray, and pray is, yes, I'm pouring out my heart. I'm blowing it again, Lord. Or would you help my friend or my family? But we're also giving him thanks. Lord, thank you that I'm here, that I have life and breath that I have the opportunity to make decisions today. But choose to draw near to God every day. It's the relationship. We talk to God in prayer. God talks to us in His Word. Resolve to do that. Nothing and no one can replace your relationship with God. So we talk about the community faith. I'll mention that again. But no one and nothing can replace God in you. When Kathy and I started teaching kids Sunday school many uh, many years ago, the kids would ask, how often should we read our Bible? Because we said, can you believe this? 25 and 30 years, we told kids, you got to read your Bible. How often? We said, just read your Bible on the days you eat. We could say, just read your Bible on the days you breathe. You need your Bible more than you need breath. You need your Bible more than you need food. Your, your soul survives. Your body doesn't. We can afford to abuse the body a little bit not our soul, not our spirit. Read your Bible every day. Pray to God every day. You'll see he shows up. The other thing which is right back to Daniel again is you got to show up for church. Think of the big church, the church meeting on Sunday mornings. Guys, there Jesus shows up when the church meets. Now you can say and I can tell you biblically, if you're a Christian, you have the spirit of God, he's with you, you can't escape him. Right? Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. No place you can go from him. Psalm 139. We're good with that. But you cannot meet Christ alone in the same way you meet Christ in the assembly of the church. God shows up when the church meets in a different way than you'll meet God on your own. And when you give yourself to worship, which is interacting around the scriptures like we're doing now or at Sunday school, or we're declaring God's praise verbally through those songs, God will show up in a way that He won't at your home alone. And typically what I find is God will put thoughts in my head that I didn't get someplace else. And it might be from the message that I'm hearing, or it might just be a reminder of something else entirely. But I find out that God speaks, and I connect to God in a different way in the church gathered than I can or do at home. You need the assembly of the saints. You need the fellowship of the church to grow, to get back in the right place where you're making good decisions again. The other thing with that is Sunday mornings are great for some things and not for others. So Sunday morning is great for big group stuff, but it's terrible for personal or intimate fellowship. And for that, you really need to be in a small group, a home group. You've got to be hanging out in a group small enough that you know others and they know you. You're praying for them and they're praying for you. They know your secrets and you know theirs. you got to have that. We all need that. And even if you're doing well and you get to church on Sunday morning, but you have no other Christian fellowship, folks that know you and that you know, you still won't grow. You still won't be ready for those points of resolution like Daniel was. You need that as well. The other thing is this. If you're way behind, if you say, Mike, I am so far lost in the woods, or I'm so far down the road in the wrong direction, I'm so overweight physically, emotionally, Anyway you say, I can't even think of the way back. And then I'd say this, don't worry about the big picture. Just one decision and one day at a time. Uh, my dad was in Alcoholics Anonymous, many of you know, and that's one of their mottos, one day at a time. It's because you and I can't handle more than that. When Jesus told his disciples, you can pray like this, he said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give me my retirement package. He didn't say, promise me next year's whatever. He said, just today. And that is so important. We will be discouraged from acting faithfully if we think we've got to recover something overnight because we realize we can't. We won't. But what you will find is if you make that one decision that day and just live out that day and then you do, the next, you do the same thing the next day, day by day, you'll find that you're back on the road, that you're back in the right direction, that you're not lost anymore. It doesn't necessarily happen immediately, but it will happen. And so take off our minds, relieve ourselves of the burden. We're going to make it all right overnight. No, we're not. We're just going to make the decision today that's faithfulness to God. We're just going to do today the thing that God's given us to do today. Guys, and most important along all of this, it's possible for you and I to say, you know, I've lived life, it's not been everything I hope, but it's sort of been okay. Yeah, I've had sins, I've had some challenges, but I'm not sure I'm feeling the relationship. And I would just challenge you to ask yourself, are you in the faith? If you say, you know, I, I don't feel like God's help is there, I don't feel close to God... I would just say, ask yourself the question, am I in the faith at all? If I'm I'm hoping that the Spirit of Christ inside me is living big and I don't have the Spirit of Christ, there's going to be a void. And we remind ourselves again, going to church doesn't save you. Do you know what? saying a sinner's prayer doesn't save you either? Sinner's prayers don't save. Someone will say, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I must be a Christian. I'm like, get a life. I did a lot of things in the past. That's meaningless today. Faith in Christ alone saves. Period. Have you trusted Christ? Is your only hope of heaven Jesus? Because if it isn't, I have no confidence in you being a Christian. If I die, where do I go and why? It's the simplest question. It's the only question that matters. If I die, guys, I'm going to heaven. And if God tried to turn me back, He couldn't do it because he'd have to lie because I know who he I know who Jesus is. I've trusted Jesus. God can't turn me back, even if he wanted to like today, if he wasn't liking where I was at today, he stuck with me. Your only hope of salvation is Christ. Now, if you have Christ, you've got a good shepherd and he's good at what he does. And you and I are never in this on our own. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And guess what? They follow me. When you and I are lost in the woods and going the wrong way down the wrong road, we've left the shepherd. The shepherd hasn't left us, but he's still there. You know, we give him that little bleat. Ah, I'm lost again. That's us. We're good with that because he'll come get us because he's a faithful shepherd. Make sure you're Christ. Make sure you're hope. Your only hope is Christ, that Jesus is your shepherd, and you'll get all the way home. If, if you need to start over, start over today. Hebrews says, quote in the Old Testament, if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Say, Lord, I've blown it, and, and I want to be right with you. And that might mean simply I confess some sins. I'm in the wrong place because I've made lousy decisions because my heart's been in the wrong place. Whatever it is, start over again today. Young men and young ladies, boys and girls, if you're in the place where you're still making up your mind about what your future and your start's going to look like, remember Daniel. He's a paragon of faithfulness. He's somebody, he's a great example of Christ-like faithfulness. If you would, stand with me. We'll conclude reading that text from 2 Timothy. Stretch. Yawn if you need to, open your eyes if that helps. Let's let's read. This this may not be your story from childhood, and maybe it is, but let the general nature of this prove true for all of us. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work.